From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, May 3rd, 2021, Walker Cup week. Um, the Walker Cup is finally here, coming to Seminole uh, in officially Juno Beach, um, although I feel like there's about five different names, Sean, where uh, Seminole could be location-wise. Um, and to talk about the Walker Cup, we welcome in from Global Golf Post, longtime friend of the show, Mr. Sean Fairholm. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Look, really looking forward to uh, Walker Cup week here. It's been a long time coming, and uh, one of uh, one of my favorite courses in the, in the in the U.S. So it should be a fantastic week. Are you only saying that because you played it recently? <laughs> it, it helps a lot. It helps a lot to add that to the. Uh, it's uh, it's easier to call Pasa Tiempo and Seminole my favorite courses when I've actually played them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so. Let's give some folks um, a very overarching view of this. The Walker Cup is the Ryder Cup for amateurs, except that it's Great Britain and Ireland and not all of Europe participating. This is the 48th Walker Cup. This is a highly, highly, highly elite event. And to be a part of these teams, uh, Sean, just to give the folks out there, I mean, this is... The best of the best amateur-wise from the U.S. most times and the best of the best from Great Britain and Ireland amateur-wise. A little different this year because of COVID protocols and trying to travel over here. But in general, you are going to find that a vast majority of these players will be somewhere on a professional tour somewhere in the world in the next year, two years, three years, four years. Yeah, and I think if you look back at some of the best players to, you know, the, the major champions, the players who have played in Ryder Cups, so many of them have played on Walker Cups. There's there's too many of them to name, but it really is kind of a showcase for the next level of golf. And to me, it's it's a really cool event. It's two days uh, as opposed to three, which the which the Ryder Cup is. And also, there, there there's no, uh, you know, best ball there's uh, just foursomes and singles which i think is really kind of a cool dynamic in my opinion foursomes uh, or uh, otherwise known as alternate shot is such a cool format in team golf that i wish uh, we saw it a lot more often we just saw it uh you know recently with the zurich classic but i think with the with the walker cup it really is just a a special event because you know on friday you have the uh, opening ceremony you have uh you know everybody is out there in suits and it's just a very a very uh, just a, a, a huge event really for amateur golf. Just it's really the, uh, the the Super Bowl in my opinion of amateur golf. Maybe next to the U.S. Amateur, but really it's a, a a massive event. Everybody who is qualified for it has been thinking towards this for uh, at least a year, but usually uh, usually a lot more than that. Usually several years, and it's a it's just a huge honor for all these players to uh, to be involved. A lot of people point to that 2007 Walker Cup team. Ricky Fowler, Billy Horschel, Dustin Johnson, Chris Kirk, Colt Nose, Drip Keeney, Jamie Lovemark, Jonathan Moore, Webb Simpson, Kyle Stanley. That is as stacked as you can uh, could possibly ask for. And for GB and I, uh, there was some guy named... And good morning to you, birds. Sorry about that. Um, we have one bird eating another bird or something outside. Um, as some guy named Rory McElroy, who I think we may have uh, heard from uh, in 
in the coming years, along with a, a Mr. Daniel Willett, uh, who we now know as Masters Champion Danny Willett. Um, so it's just a, a harbinger of, of things to come. And the fact that it's at Seminole is really fascinating because this is an event that Seminole has been kind of this club that not a lot of people knew about, um, you know, on like a inside the gates thing. It's a Pine Valley, it's a Cypress where they've heard about it and they've seen pictures within it and they've heard about the Seminole Pro-Am, but they haven't really seen it. And we had it with TaylorMade Driving Relief on, on Golf Channel and NBC back... Uh, I would say about a year ago in the throes of the pandemic, and now you're going to see it on Peacock and Golf Channel this week in the Walker Cup. Um, it, it's a special place, and I think we as an audience are going to get a much better appreciation for why it is revered as much as it is this week. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think during the uh, Taylor Bay driving relief, the, the course played incredibly soft, which was a, a shame. Uh, there wasn't nearly as much wind as there normally is, and uh, of course, Seminole was right on the Atlantic Ocean, and there's just so much wind every single day. Uh, traditionally, it kind of comes off of the ocean going towards uh, from, from east to west, which makes, uh, for for example, the par 317th, this kind of devilish little par 3 where the, the wind's kind of going left or right directly across the player, and you have to hit really a, a low kind of draw to be able to hold that green, or else you're almost definitely going to end up in that right hand right-hand bunker it really is a uh, a course where uh, you're going to be out there and uh, even the average player is probably not going to lose a golf ball it's it's incredibly wide uh, it's very generous off the tee but you just have to be so exact with your approach play and, uh, and these greens are uh, not incredibly undulating but they are kind of tilted in a lot of spots and uh, you know I was surprised being out there that uh, they didn't break as much as I thought. Whenever the caddy told me to, to you know, hit a putt, it was always uh, well inside what I, what my eye was telling me. It just kind of goes to show you how how quick the greens are, how uh, how how sloped they are in a lot of different places, um, and it really is a, a magnificent test. I think it'll be a cool match play course as well. Um, there's back to back par fives on the back nine. Uh, both of them, depending on the wind, are uh, are, get- are, are gettable. And um, in particular, the par five fourteenth is a is a place where uh, players of this caliber can make can make a three pretty easily. They, they could have a, a short iron into that into that par five. Um, and and the fifteenth is kind of a risk reward par five as well. And that, those two holes could really decide a lot of matches coming down the stretch. So I think it's going to be a fantastic venue. And uh, there's, there's so much history involved with Seminole, but this will be uh, right near the top of that history uh, when we look back at this event many years from now. 17th is 175 if they have it all the way back, um, which for these guys could be, what, a pitching wedge or a four iron, depending on the wind? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Yeah, Sean Fairholm's with us uh, from Global Golf Post. Um and you you hinted at media day, so let's let's just give the folks an idea of what happens here because I I think it's important to understand media days. I think sometimes they get a little misconstrued um, among the golfing public because I feel like sometimes we come out of media days and it's like this golf course is so hard, nobody's going to ever birdie any of these holes, and then you know twelve under wins, and it's like what the heck happened here? Um, so. A, 
Media Day is obviously what it sounds like. Vast members of the media get, get to play these golf courses. Sean was one of them a couple weeks ago. Number two, because Taylor Made Driving Relief was a PGA Tour live production, that's essentially what Golf Channel and, and NBC used for it, it didn't give, I think, being as flat as those cameras make it as fascinating an angle for kind of the slopes and the terrain of the golf course, A, and then B, obviously, you had um, rusty play from Dustin Johnson and no wind. So, with all that being said, you go out there, Sean, and I think a lot of times when we talk about media days, it really is about the conditions of that day. Are they still trying to grow the rough up? Well, if they are, the rough may play more penal for media members than it will during tournament week. Um, you may have greens that don't look as diabolical as they do during tournament week because they've got to, you know, kind of build them up so that by tournament week they're as fast as they can. And in your case, for a course like Seminole, whose main defense is wind, you know, it's different. If you take Wingfoot and Pebble, right? Pebble's about the June gloom, the breezes, you know, if there's wind coming off of uh, uh, the Pacific. Wingfoot's defense is thick, rough, and trees. <laughs> like, you can't have two more different venues. Same with Oakmont. Like, just two very different venues. And for Seminole, you've got the wind and you've got speedy greens. So, A, give the folks an idea of what the weather conditions were like the day that you played, and then B, your observations playing in those conditions. I would say the wind was blowing maybe 15 to 20 miles per hour, which is a, a fairly average day, I would say, at Seminole. Um, to your point, I think when the wind is down... It's not a very hard golf course by the standards of, you know, these elite amateurs and, and by professionals. Uh, in an extreme example of that, I was talking to uh, Bob Ford, who is actually uh, retiring uh, as the longtime head pro of Seminole. He, he was saying that uh, R Rory, who his, his dad Jerry is a member out there, but R Rory uh, played the course recently and was something like eight under par through 14 holes, but then hit it in the water on 15 and had to settle for something like a 65. Uh, the, the caddy that I had uh, during during media day told me that uh, Russell Knox shot a 63 out at Seminole, and I think if you if you do get a, a winless day, it is it, it doesn't have too much of a defense. Uh, there there really isn't very much rough at Seminole, um, and the, the fairways are pretty wide. Um, and if, if you have a, a player of that caliber, they're going to take advantage of uh, of the conditions. But I, I would say, you know, the course I didn't find it. Um, playing so challenging to the point that I was pulling my hair out or anything. The greens were fairly receptive. They were very fast, but nothing nothing crazy, I would say. Uh, it, it was just to the point where if you, if you had a downhill putt, you had to be so defensive with it that it was it was difficult to start it online. But the greens are immaculate. They, they really are. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that uh, the, 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 what the wind really does is, uh, I think it plays a huge factor on approach shots, but it plays maybe even, maybe an even bigger factor around the greens. Even with bunker shots or short little shots, 
what direction the wind is going really kind of dictates everything that you're able to accomplish. Uh, if, you hit, if you hit in the wrong, wrong spot, there are several spots there that you could tell uh, from playing that course that you just can't go there. I went into, I went into more of a few of them. <laughs> um, the, the, the back bunker on number six, for example, that's a place where if, you're, if you hit it in there pretty much any day, you could be walking off with a double bogey without even really hitting a bad golf shot. Um, it would actually be quite—you uh, do quite well to make a bogey from that spot. And there, there are just a few different spots around the golf course where you just absolutely, by by you know every, any measure, you just cannot go there depending on on how the wind is so really it's a uh, it's going to be a chess match you know i think it's a uh, i'm really hoping that the the wind blows um and that it is a challenge for these guys but um i, I would expect pretty low numbers if it's if it's still um but if it but if it is uh, if it is pretty windy i, I would think uh, it, it can get pretty challenging pretty quickly it's it, it is one of those courses that is it's very dependent on what, where the wind is, how strong it is, and, uh, and really what direction it's coming out of, because that really just totally changes the golf course day to day. And it sounds like Sean that if it is blowing some, you could see Bogey winning holes. Absolutely, yeah. No, it, really. I mean, there are a few really hard holes. Uh, the, the par three fifth comes to example. It's uh, really kind of a I mean, it's an innocuous-looking hole from the tee. It's it's just a, uh, I, I would say, maybe a short iron or a mid iron for, for most of these players, and it's surrounded by, I want to say, five or six bunkers on all sides. Uh, and the, the green's fairly, fairly big, but no, nothing uh, too large. But, uh, you know, that's a hole where, uh, you know, you just make, you make it even a decent swing, and you could be really in a bad spot in a hurry it does not take very much to get into a place where you really have no shot there um and we will see bogeys winning holes and then i'm sure you know if the conditions allow we'll we'll see some matches where um you know in an alternate shot you know players may be in in and be able to get into the 60s and that may um that may be necessary to to win some of these matches so uh so it will be very interesting to see what the conditions are and, and how the players respond to that Supposed to be an east-southeast wind, 15 miles per hour on Saturday and Sunday, although this is one of those situations, I would think, Sean, where you can kind of throw the weather forecast out and it just comes down to what it is in that moment right then and there. Yeah, I would say so. In, in the morning as well, you know, we, we teed off... Uh, you know, fairly early, and it was pretty still for the first few holes, and that just kind of ramps up uh, as uh, South Florida weather normally does. You, you get into that one to four o'clock window, and it really gets going, um, especially this time of year in May. Uh, it, it gets pretty windy out there, so I, I, I would expect there to be uh, a significant amount of wind, and that's really how the course was meant to be played. So it's uh, it should be should be a lot of fun. Um, we have Sean Fairholm with us here on Teeing It Up, previewing the 48th Walker Cup matches, which come your way on Peacock and Golf Channel this coming Saturday and Sunday. Um, let's get into these teams. Um, we have Nathaniel, let's try that again, Nathaniel Crosby, captain for the United States. He's back after a successful trip in uh, 20. 19 and Stuart Wilson is the captain for Great Britain and Ireland um, and 
Um, you look at the U.S., and I think the biggest headline coming into this for the U.S. is they have somebody who just won a very big event uh, coming on their team, and that is Cole Hammer, the Texas star, who it feels like Sean has been at Texas for about seven years by now. <laughs> We've been hearing his name for a long time. He's 21 years old now. It feels like he's been 21 for about a decade. But he, but he just won the uh, Big Ten uh, title. And for those of you out there who have followed the NCAAs, um, this is somebody who has so much promise, so much uh, capacity to A, go low, B, upset, you know, big name um, amateur stars, and C, has also had some bumps in the road, and that's a big win for him, and it's got to be really comfortable and have some nice momentum for him going into the Walker Cup. Yeah, I mean, the Americans are massive favorites. Um, I, I think there are, there's a few reasons for that. One, the last time this match was on American soil at, uh, at LA Country Club in 2017, I mean, it was... Uh, a complete, a complete uh, bulldozing, really, by the Americans, and uh, it wasn't too far off of that at, at, at Liverpool, uh, over across the pond as well. So really, they're coming in. Yeah, nineteen to seven in uh, twenty seventeen, and fifteen and a half to uh, ten and a half um, um, last time around. So yeah, so absolutely. So the Americans are coming in having uh, really kind of taken control the last couple of years. And, you know, if you look at really the Walker Cup since the, uh, you know, since really from 2000, from like 1999 onwards, kind of right around that range, before 1999, it had really been completely only dominated by the Americans. But it's it's been pretty, uh, you know, it's been pretty back and forth for the most part since since then. GB&I has had had a lot of success uh in that in, in that regard but really this is going to be a, t- a tall order for them for one you mentioned the, the star power on the american team um you could add john pack to that list a guy who is probably going to uh make it through his time at florida state uh you know near the top of the, the pga tour university rankings go right to the the corn ferry corn ferry tour and i'm sure he will uh, have a lot of success on the pga tour in his career also, a guy I think a lot of people are going to love, uh, Quake Cummins from, from Oklahoma, a six-year senior. He's 24 years old and uh, a guy that I think is, is going to have a long professional career, very eccentric uh, player who, um, you know, just has a lot of personality, has, has a lot of game, big, big, tall guy who could really hit the ball a long way. And the Americans just have a incredibly talented, deep, deep team. And then you look at GB&I, and um, there are some – some good players on GB&I, but one of their problems is that about half the team has played six or more events this year, and half the team really hasn't played at all, which is kind of an issue. Uh, for example, Ben Jones, who is on the GB&I squad, his uh, he, he played the Terracotta Invitational last week, but prior to that, he had not played a golf tournament for about seven months uh, prior to that. He had been practicing and just kind of getting ready, and uh, unfortunately had a positive COVID test during the, the Jones Cup Invitational in February in Sea Island and, and could not play in that. But there are five guys on the GB&I squad who are, are at a significant disadvantage, who will be pretty rusty. And uh, Sandy Scott, really one of their best players, uh, a guy who's been uh, had a great career at Texas Tech, has uh, has 
you know, been a top 10 amateur in the world for a really long time, had to, had to withdraw because of uh, some injury problems that he's been been laboring through over the past, you know, handful of months. So, you know, they're, they're down their, their best player, uh, really, you could argue. Um, they, they do have uh, Alex Fitzpatrick, who I think is going to be really the, the leader, the, the star of that team, younger brother of Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, they, they, they have some good guys, but they're going to be really relying heavily on, uh, I would say, Alex Fitzpatrick, John Murphy from Louisville, and uh, Mark Power, who is uh, Fitzpatrick's teammate at, at Wake Forest. Uh, those three guys are really going to have to carry a, a, a massive load for this GB&I team. They're going to have to maybe even go undefeated on the, in their matches to be able to really keep this uh, within shouting distance on Sunday. Uh, I do think it helps that you know Seminole is a, a very different venue from LA Country Club. It's going to be very wind dependent and has some shades of, uh, of, of links golf in it that a lot of these guys are familiar with. But I think the Americans come in really with a, uh, a huge, huge advantage. Let's just uh, talk about a couple things which you brought up there in, in some detail. First of all, for anybody who is a news buff, um, Alex Fitzpatrick, who's on the Walker Cup team, is not the same as the senior writer and editor for Time Magazine. Um, who has been on the COVID beat this entire time? So let's let's get that one out of the way. Uh, two very different people. Although I am friends with uh, the Time Magazine Alex Fitz, uh, um, Alex Fitzpatrick. He's a very nice guy, and I'm sure this Alex Fitzpatrick is as well. Um, the U.S. has four players. Um, sorry, five players who are in the top ten of the World Amateur Golf Rankings: Pearson Cootie, um, John Pack. Davis Thompson, Tyler Strafacci, the reigning U.S. Amateur Champion, and Ricky Castillo. Uh, the um, highest-ranked player on GB&I is, is Fitzpatrick. He's 13th. You then need to go to Mark Power, who's 34th, Ben Schmidt, who's um, 36th. There's a huge disparity, and I think we need to illuminate something here. Um, which for the listeners out there, um, they may not be familiar with, which is there have been serious restrictions on playing golf in parts of the UK during this pandemic. Um, and part of that, um, Sean, is that you are looking at a situation where they were forced to stop. They didn't want to stop. They were not taking They were taking every precaution, and they were forced because the closest uh, courses had to close. And unless you're playing golf in the U.S. or have some other business in the U.S., they were not playing golf. This is a very difficult scenario for some members of this team who are not only rusty from lack of tournament play, but are just rusty because they were forced to be rusty. It's it's an interesting dynamic here because. You know, some of these players are are U.S. college players. Uh, a few of them I just I just mentioned, and you know they've been going and, and playing their college season throughout the spring. Um, for instance, you know Alex Fitzpatrick won the the Valspar uh, collegiate event and uh, actually earned an exemption into uh, into the Valspar. He, he took it for next year, not not this past week. But there have been. A lot of players who have, uh, you know, a lot of GB&I players, five of them, 
who have played a, a U.S. college schedule. They've been over here. They've, they've been competing regularly in tournaments. And then you have the other half of the team, who I, I believe I counted that of the other five players in the team, they've made a combined six tournament starts in 2021. So really, Yikes. that. that that's to say they, they really haven't played any golf, a uh, uh, meaningful competition, let alone, you know, the highest level of amateur golf, which is which is the Walker Cup and all the nerves and, and everything that, that come with it. I, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty rough spot for a couple of these players who have just not really been able to, to play that much. Uh, you, you, you said it perfectly. They just have not had... You know, anywhere near the amount of opportunities to, uh, to, to to travel and play. A lot of them actually go to Australia um, during January in a normal year. There's several major amateur events, uh, the Australian Amateur and Master of the Amateurs uh, that's, that are played uh, in January, and that's a, a pretty common trip for a lot of the uh, GB&I players, and uh, they, they weren't able to make that trip, of course. Uh, there, there have been other events where uh, COVID testing has, has really prevented a lot of them from, uh, from, from, from playing. In the case of, as I said before, with Ben Jones, the Jones Cup, uh, that, that's, that's happened to a couple of different players at a few events. Uh, they just haven't had that many opportunities. And, you know, some, some events have, have been canceled as well throughout the past year. You know, there are a lot of events that are supposed to take place uh, in the fall that or, or last summer that, that didn't get a chance to, to be played. And uh, there are just a lot of guys who are going to be coming in very rusty to this uh, to this Walker Cup. And it's, I just would not want to be in that position, having my, my game judged in front of the world on a very difficult golf course, uh, you know, having to play some of the best players in the world. I think the the U.S. has, uh, I would say, at least three or maybe four future PGA Tour uh, caliber players who could who could be future top twenty, top thirty players in the world. Um, I would I would look to Davis Thompson for, for absolute sure is, is going to be a PGA Tour player. Um, and you know if you, you look at John Pack, you look at Pearson Cootie, these guys are, are outstanding players. You know, go back to the 2017 team. That team had Will Zalatoris. That team had Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa. I mean, it's just, it doesn't take very long for for these guys to uh, they get three, four, five years down the road, and all of a sudden you look back at these teams, and they were really just uh, you know signals of, of what was uh, to come. And the Americans are are, are certainly stars. That it would it would take probably a, a poor performance on their behalf and a uh, brilliant performance on GB and I's behalf to, to really make this a, a a great Walker Cup. Sean Fairholm with us from Global Golf Post. Uh, Two more for you here on Seeing It Up, and uh, thank you for your time here on a Monday morning. Um, we need to talk about Stuart Hagestat because this dude, he's 30, and he keeps doing this. This is going to be his third straight Walker Cup. Um, played in multiple Masters, multiple U.S. Open. I mean, what he has put together is a very old-school amateur career that we don't see a lot anymore. Just guys that are career amateurs. Yeah, and you know, one of the cool things about about Hagestad is he's kind of mean. I mean, he, he plays a lot of golf, and when, when you when you hear mid am, you think, oh man, this this guy must be ranked, you know, hundredth in the world or whatever, and he he's just the top mid am. And of course, the USGA they always take one mid am. Uh, used to be two, but now they it's a a uh, requirement of theirs that they they take one mid am per 
per Walker Cup, but you know. Hagestad's a, uh, he's been pretty consistently in the top 20 of the world throughout the, the past few years. Uh, he's, he's a great player. He uh, is really, whenever you see him play an amateur event, he's usually in contention with a, with a chance to win. I just went down and covered the Terracotta Invitational in Naples a couple weeks ago, and uh, there he was in the second-to-last group with a, with a chance to win. Just a, 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 a fantastic player. It will be interesting to see. You know, he, he would be definitely in line to be a future Walker Cup captain, but a part of that media day at Seminole, he, he was there for, uh, for everyone to interview and everything, and I was talking to him about what he wants his legacy to be, and he actually uh, said he wasn't really that interested in being a captain, which is uh, which was kind of uh, a little bit surprising to me. There are a few that would be in line ahead of him. Uh, Nathan Smith, who who won uh, four U.S. Mid-Ams, would be uh, and, and played on a couple of Walker Cup teams. He, he would be definitely in line ahead of him, and Scott Harvey and a couple other other players as well. But um, but yeah, he, he's a fantastic player. I, I think he. You know, he, he may play in this Walker Cup and maybe another one, but he, he says he, he doesn't want to play in Walker Cups for the rest of his life, doesn't want to captain the team uh, in the future perhaps. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, it is a, a, a long-term investment to you know, make sure your game is sharp enough to play on these teams and to, uh, to really qualify for them and to, to play as much golf as he does. And he, he said there are a lot of skiing trips with friends that he has to miss to, in order to, to maintain the schedule he does and that he uh, that one day he, he won't be quite as committed to amateur golf as, as he is uh, as he is at the moment which is you know right now he's playing a, a ton of golf so I, I can't blame him too much um okay and uh, he's 30th right now and yeah I mean it's it's how long can you keep the longevity going and and how long can you keep committed to sacrificing those things and there may come a time where he just says thanks and uh you know i my time is done i'm going to hand this off to somebody else so we'll see what happens with mr hagestat uh going forward sean's with us from uh global golf post sean fairholm and um you know media days are a very interesting experience sean because um a lot of media members fly in to some of these. They haven't played in a while. They get a little nervous. Here's some odd things on a driving range. Warming up, or as they would say at Augusta, the tournament practice facility. And you were warming up and uh, on, the, on the Seminole Range for your media day round, and something near you did not sound exactly like the others and there was a good reason for it you know to be to be clear you know uh there are probably about 16 or so media members on hand um and you know maybe a couple of them were decent golfers uh i was with uh ryan labner and a couple other people were, were in my group but you know i was on the range and um you know, just, we were just kind of focusing on my uh, on hitting a few balls, and then I I heard a sound behind me that did not sound like a uh, you know a sound that the ball would make uh, at, at impact when a media member like myself would would hit it. And I turned around, and it was Justin Thomas, uh, who everyone will probably know that he uh, lives pretty close by in the area in in, uh, in Jupiter, and um, 
you know, it, it was just a really cool dynamic to it because he was out there playing. Uh, he wasn't really necessarily a part of the media day, but he was just out there playing with a, a couple of members. Um, he actually played directly in the group ahead of us, and we got to see several of the shots throughout the day, which is kind of really added to a, a, a new dynamic to it. Um, you know, there are a lot of, of, of the pros who, who go out and occasionally play at Seminole, and that was, that was just pretty cool to see. When, when he transitioned from the uh, practice range to the, uh, to the putting green, I, I, I kind of uh, slyly followed him and practiced my putting next to him and, and uh, was eaves, eavesdropping on some of his conversations, although none of them were very exciting. But uh, it was just a, a really kind of a cool dynamic and uh you know it, it was it was awesome you know playing playing seminole for, for putting the first green and then making a, a 75 footer on the second green always have those uh, those memories of uh of being able to, to to be out there and i may never play it again but it was just one of those uh, once in a lifetime kind of things for putting and then making a 75-footer. They don't put pictures on a scorecard, Sean, unfortunately, but you have those pictures forever. You have yes. pictures. Yeah, the 75-footer was technically off the green, so I was averaging two putts through two holes. <laughs> Live on Peacock, free platform, Saturday and Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern, moves to Golf Channel at 11 a.m. Eastern for the morning wave, and then uh, Peacock, uh, 4.30 Saturday, Sunday, then moves to Golf Channel at 5.30 um, Saturday and, and Sunday uh, for the afternoon singles. Play the 48th Walker Cup from Seminole in Florida. Um, I can just imagine the conversation with Justin Thomas and whoever he was talking to. What are you working on? Oh, just the process, you know, just just trying to do the same thing, you know. <laughs> he sees media and goes into media mode, and then as soon as you guys leave, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to work on, you know, getting the shaft over here and then moving this thing over here. And it, it's funny, when you think about Justin Thomas, Sean, and I always find this funny about tour pros, they, it's like, find the right venue for them. Like, Jordan Spieth, with no laying up on that podcast, was as open as he's been, and, and as open as I've heard anybody about what he was going through swing-wise and all his ups and downs. And yet, you know, with, you know, the media and a, and a normal press conference, it's just, you know, process and sticking with it and sticking with the plan. Some of these guys, it's very much where you are and the presence and, and is it an intimate setting, is it not an intimate setting? And you can get two guys back to back who are very different people or it may be a, a way that you ask these questions and it's one or two words and it gets a more illuminating answer. There's very few guys out there that'll be exactly the same whether you're in a private setting, a public setting, off the record, on the record, so on and so forth. It's 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 fascinating when you get kind of that inside peak. He just won, uh, I believe, somewhere in the area of two point seven million dollars at the Players Championship, yeah. uh, maybe a week or two weeks before uh, before that media day. Um, so he was he was in a pretty good mood. Um, but yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I think it, it takes a lot for players to be uh, transparent nowadays because a lot of times their words can get twisted and they uh, they. They only open up at, in, in certain avenues, but uh, he, he seemed he seemed pretty relaxed and, uh, and open, but not not sharing too much. 
And hey, he has all the reason to be happy because that that was a huge moment for him and for his family and all the work that they had put in um, in that crazy, crazy um, Sunday when people were breathing down him and he was able to pull through and get the victory at the players. Sean Fairholm, uh, thank you, as always, for coming on Seeing It Up and uh, enjoy... Seminole and the Walker Cup. When people hear this, I think they're going to be jealous of you. So just get ready for very jealous text messages coming your way. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me as always, and I uh, hope everybody tunes into the Walker Cup. It should be a really special weekend. Yes, do it. Rare look inside one of the uh, just very mystical type golf courses in this country, Seminole. Um, coming your way this weekend on Golf Channel and Peacock. Thanks, Sean, and uh, Thanks, everybody. Have a great day out there.